welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karam. Today we're going to be talking about practical force length, increasing sarcomere density. Building off what we talked about in principles, we're really going to dive into this concept of get the range, then add the load. Do I have that range of motion? Then I can add external load. And it goes into this whole idea of function and where is the rate limiting step from a mechanical advantage or disadvantage? And then we can build a really robust program off of that. Going to dive into a lot of the architecture of a muscle fiber. We're going to dive into a lot of the function of that architecture. And if we really want to get the best for our clients or athletes, it's understanding what is true from a, from a physics and engineering perspective within the body and then looking at it from what is the, what does that architecture or function of that muscle cell allow us? And then how do we train that? So a lot to unpack. Uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this one. I mean, I think this is going to be really helpful. I've been saying this all along. Let's check out the previous modules. If you guys aren't familiar, we have a PH podcast curriculum. So if we have, if you sign up for a membership at phpodcast.com, you get access to all of our modules. So the, all the podcasts you've been listening to, it'll have all the written part of it, all of the actual graphics and the uh, other aspects like case study and all the audio put right there for you guys just to follow along in a very sequential manner. Helps a ton with the learning. I've had a lot of really good feedback. So if you aren't a member, I recommend highly getting in that. We have a discount code, Strength Deficit, half off your first month if you were interested in that. Also too, Strength Deficit, the book is out for pre-order. So if you get a pre-order of that now, you actually get a copy of the Army Strength Army Strength Conditioning Programs I utilized in 2016 that really spawned the idea of the book. So that comes complimentary with the purchase of a pre-order. It's available at phpodcast.com backslash shop. And then if you are listening to this on iTunes, please rate and review. It just helps the algorithm a lot. So it gets a lot more for us to be able to give back to you and make this a, a just a really awesome experience for you guys. So take a second, rate and review, like and subscribe because that just helps the bottom line and makes this whole experience better so we can invest back into the actual website, the production value on this and getting you guys overall better experience. So I want to give a special shout out to our, our official sponsor, Realize Me. Realize Me is your command center for health and fitness. Realize Me helps you collect all the health and performance data in one place. It helps you bridge the gaps and allows you to create visualizations on top of all your data, enabling, enabling you to get, get deeper insight. As a Realize Me member, you have access to reduced pricing on lab tests, devices, and supplements from the industry's top brands. If you're ready to get more out of your data, sign up at realize.me to join the waitlist. Realize Me, realize your potential. Talked about this last week. I've been a member of Realize for the last six months. And I can't tell you how frustrating it was getting to the point where I was collecting all this data between wearables, force plates, training, you name it, I was trying to track it. But it was all siloed off in its single place. And I had no way of getting that data into a single source platform unless I wanted to migrate this all over to a Google Doc or a Excel sheet became very frustrating. And that was how big reason why I wanted to get on the Realize platform to help answer these big problems of siloed off data so I can start to see this in one place. And the cool part is now I can create experiments to see the impact on various interventions like supplements or training protocols to get other changes, bigger changes like force or power or velocity or changing my body composition or body mass. It is a 
huge aspect of my training now that I can see this all in one location. I cannot recommend it enough. And then as a listener and subscriber to this podcast, you'll get special discounts at Realize.me if you get on this early. So make sure you get on the wait list so you can start to leverage this powerful platform within your training and coaching immediately. So we're going to talk about now the practical aspect of force length increasing sarcomeres and sarcomere density. So the thing that I think we need to establish in this practical aspect is there is a physics term called mechanical advantage and or an engineering term. And when we look at it, this is really designed from a multi-joint perspective. And that's not what we're really going to be talking about here. But definition of mechanical advantage and mechanical advantage is the ratio of force produced by a machine to the force applied to it used in assessing performance in a machine, right? So leverage is really, really important in most things. One of the things that we want to establish, though, is that there's not this true lever that we have in the body because one of the things that a lever needs is a fulcrum in contact with the load arm or the, ful- the fulcrum in contact with some sort of arm that's creating resistance and some sort of arm is creating force. We don't really have that to be completely honest because a joint's all about space. A joint needs to have actual space in to move with a degree of freedom that allows it to function properly. That the joint space or the lack thereof actually predicates the joint's ability So if we're talking directly about mechanical advantage and levers, that if I have a really, really short, really long resistance arm or long, I guess, force arm, then I'm going to have this, this really powerful lever that has a very high mechanical advantage. Well, it can't really be that unless the fulcrum's in contact. But it kind of leads into this idea of we can understand muscle and movement a little bit easier if we just have some sort of mechanical models to just at least give us some sort of direct, maybe this is the way this is working. But let's say that's not true. And let's say that we have to re-engineer or re just create a whole new archaeology architecture of how the body moves and we look at passive and active tissues or active being contractile tissues, sarcomeres of muscle cells and passive being connective tissue that don't directly create contraction but distribute energy from the muscle cell to the actual bone to create some sort of movement then I can start to think about how do I how do I train that and how do I create and elicit someone who's performing at a more optimal level? So the first thing we talk about within the module is this isn't mechanical advantage. What it is, is this idea that I have certain amount of length and then I can add resistance to it to create more demand at that length. And the line I use a lot and where I work with my coaches and my athletes and clients is let's get the range first and then we'll add the load. So 
I don't have lo- I don't have the range. I can't add the load. That if I don't have a certain prerequisite length, both passive and then future active, then I won't have the ability to externally load it and get what I want out of it because it's going to lead to some sort of compensatory pattern, creating an aberrant movement pattern that isn't getting me what I want in the first place. So getting that range first and foremost is a really important thing to figure out. Now, as I start to push through and start to get more and more control at that length, then I can start to really leverage movement patterns, but I need to get that muscle cell and joint strong at length. So one of the things that we will talk about in the future as well is this idea of of muscle muscle fiber orientation or pinnation angle, right? So it can be pinnate, meaning it's kind of going into this oblique angle where that allows for a higher distribution of sarcomeres. It's just from a orientation perspective has a lot more potential to store sarcomeres because you look at it, pinnate muscle fibers are shorter. They're just simply, they're shorter in length. So the distal and proximal ends happen more suddenly, relatively speaking. So if I look at uh, a very traditional pinnate angle muscle fiber, like let's say the, the quadricep, the VMO, then that has a really, really small length. So where that mid and that mid and distal and proximal parts be, begin or end don't, is really small. It's a very, very like overlapping thing because I have a lot more sarcomeres distributed in that area. So I have a very big mid range, midpoint of that muscle belly, right? That mechanically strong position that that length is, is strong throughout. And this is going into this idea of that's working at a lower gear. That means it can create more force. And this is an idea of gear ratio applied to muscle cells. Again, we're kind of getting away from mechanical advantage versus a, a more parallel muscle fiber orientation that has a longer muscle cell, relatively speaking, and a more stretched out position distally and proximally. And when I look at when I look at this idea of where that midpoint of the muscle belly is, relatively speaking, to the ability to create force at certain lengths, that it has a lot more area to move from so that distal and proximal end becomes a lot more gradual. And now we create more, a more vulnerability, right? We can look at bioarticular muscle cells like a rec fem or bicep femoris that attach to two joints, cross over two joints. So tibia all the way to the pelvis. That that more parallel orientation or that lengthwise orientation really expose that muscle cell at length or in a very shortened position. This is why we see a lot of tendinopathies or a lot of a lot of issues in compensatory action, a lot of these things, because it's so reliant on the distal and proximal ends to be passive energy production. But I don't have the contractile or mechanical energy production or active energy production 
at that length or that degree of shortness. So I have to find some sort of strategy to control it. And it goes into a more passive or connective tissue function type of control. And when we see parallel muscle fibers, we start to look at these things as now we have to start to increase that muscle cell's capacity or go to a lower gear and help that muscle cell create force. This is why it's so important to have length. But it's why it's really important to create force at that length and create demand at that length, whether it's extended or shortened, closing or open, regressive or progressive. That if I don't have that length, that I'm not creating the demand on the tissues in shortened or lengthened positions, I'm not going to have the force generating capability there and I'm not going to be able to translate that what I want and I'm going to lose resiliency and performance. But if I get overly myopically focused on singular exercises and loading them as much as I possibly can and finding, finding strategies to do that, I'm going to take away from that position. And one of the things that we'll talk a lot about here in the future as well, specifically with levers, is this idea that that space and maintenance of space within the joint allows for fluids to move freely. And that fluid creates momentum within, that, within the body. That the body is just basically controlling fluids, right? Most of our body is water. Where is that water going? Muscle cells are filled with water. If you do a bioelectrical impedance, the more muscle, muscle you have, relatively speaking to fat, that means more water you have. Water is floating all over the body, specifically in between joints. So I start to create a closing angle. I'm, pu I'm pushing the water away to the open side. And that water will slosh back once it hits the end of that joint and go back and create momentum in the opposite direction. The question is, what is the degree of space creates this momentum and control of that flow of momentum really, really challenging. It's why you feel better on the second rep, to be honest, right? Inertia is an important thing, right? That there, a thing will, a body will stay in the current state of motion unless acted on as outside force. This is a physical law. So if the fluid is static within the joint and I start to create contraction and that starts to move that fluid slowly and gradually and then the momentum from that fluid starts to build as i start to squeeze and pull the accordion so to speak that i create this flow of water the second rep has more momentum of the fluid creating a rebound effect from the closing to open side and subsequently back that that second rep feels a lot smoother and a lot easier because fluid's moving but how do i initiate that movement and then do i have the decelerative force at certain lengths really is predicated off my proximal muscle fiber and my distal muscle fiber orientation. And this could be a lot more important for muscle cells that are really long, aka parallel muscle fibers that run longitudinally as opposed to this, or I guess vertically as opposed to this horizontal orientation with, with pinnate muscle fibers. And the thing that we'll find a lot is going back to this idea of mechanical advantage, which we can kind of tie into muscle cells a little bit better in terms of what actual contractile ability do we have is when that muscle cell is perpendicular to the ground to, set, to start, it has a lot more mechanical advantage versus when that muscle cell is parallel to the ground, 
a lot less mechanical advantage. And one of the things you'll see is that actual muscle cell at length and when it's perpendicular to ground is usually a very longitudinal or parallel muscle fiber. And that has a lot less sarcomeres. Because functionally, we don't need it because we're organically stronger. We have a mechanical advantage from that, just from gravity and the forces of gravity that work on us. Where pinnate muscle fiber is mechanically mechanically at a disadvantage because it's parallel to the muscle fiber at length or parallel to gravity or the ground at length. And it has a lot more sarcomeres to handle that. And we'll dive into that a lot in terms of, uh, in terms of actual training, but or in terms of levers, but that's a really fundamental thing to really understand that just like we talked about with strength deficit is that eccentrically we're stronger eccentrically than concentrically without any outside influence until we start training we start to close that gap but the same thing when we look at muscle fiber orientation pinnate or parallel the distribution of sarcomeres and the reliance on higher force producing muscle fibers that organically already have that built in pinnate muscle fibers have more sarcomeres while disproportionately not focusing on creating force at length or in the shortened position and parallel muscle fibers and not creating that adaptation. Biomechanics will govern function. That if I don't have the prerequisite biomechanics, i.e. joint, uh, i.e. length, force at length, I won't have the control and then therefore I won't be able to express force, velocity, or work. That if I don't have that prerequisite joint and that length at that joint and then that contractile ability at that length at that joint, that I won't have the movement pattern that I want. Patterns are, patterns are good. Like, don't get it twisted. I want to make someone run faster, jump higher, throw something further. I'm going to need to train movement patterns with external load or a specific biomotor focus, velocity, force, or work. If I want to improve someone's body composition, I'm going to really lean in on patterns. The issue being, though, is if I don't have the joint and the length of that tissue corresponding with that joint and the space within that joint, that pattern's not going to be what I want and I won't get what I need out of it. Then I'm going to have a rate-limiting step to get to the outcome that I want prematurely and I need to fix that first and foremost. So as I start to build out a program, I need to get the range and then add the load. And then I need to understand is where can I create the most tension and where can I create the most demand? We talked about this with that mechanical advantage of the muscle cell. That when I look at this range of the muscle cell and where that force length continuum really is, that most of the muscle cells contractile ability is going to be within the midpoint of that muscle cell. So it will be stronger there. That will be the potential to create the most quote unquote tension, but I can create much more outcome by increasing muscle cell sarcomere distribution longitudinally, both proximal and distally, I can get more results over a period of time, right? And this is a compounding strategy, right? So for instance, with compounding interest, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, this idea that I start with 
start with a very sound and net positive, a small positive producing activity or investment. And then I start to increase the residual value over time from that because it's perpetually exponentially growing. That one cents becomes two cents, becomes four cents, becomes 16 cents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That it doubles and doubles and doubles and doubles. But the same thing from training. If I train in a reduced range of motion, then I don't get any compounding interest from that. But if I agree, increase my degrees of freedom, one degree, one degree, one degree, I increase the contractile tissue of that degrees of freedom. My force at that length goes exponentially up. Then I can get more from that length and that pattern becomes more available. And then the ability to express force or length, force or velocity or work at that length and that movement pattern becomes exponentially better. Then I will get more return for my investment. That that focus point on getting as much degrees of freedom and control at that degree of freedom as possible is what predicates this long-term strategy from health, function, and performance that is prerequisite for success in anything that I want. I want someone to run faster, jump higher, throw something further. I want something to look better. I want to get range no matter what. I want to create force at that range. And if the rate limiting step is sarcomeres or mechanical or active tissues, energy production, I need to get that. I need to establish that needs to be in place above and all, above and beyond anything else that I want to do. Go through screening, we'll go through all these things, but if if I don't have some sort of diagnostic to see that, or if I just don't, it doesn't pass the eye test, like that pattern doesn't look good. What joint actions aren't working properly? Where are they compensating at? It's probably when they don't have enough distribution of sarcomeres at length or in a shortened position. And they're over relying on the, on the mechanical properties of the midpoint of that muscle cell to overcompensate that. It's when that muscle or that, that muscle is perpendicular to the ground is when we're going to have the greatest mechanical need. Sorry, parallel to the ground. Parallel to the ground. Then I'm going to have the greatest mechanical need to create tension because I'm at mechanical disadvantage. And that's where the sarcomeres start to lay itself down. But when that muscle cell is perpendicular to the ground, that there's not much mechanical need because I'm on a mechanical advantage, I don't have as much sarcomere. So we have to artificially create that. We have to create this demand at this by getting into these shortened and lengthened positions of that joint. Because if not, we don't do it. We don't need it. Organically, we won't have to. We have to consciously put our clients, athletes, and even ourselves in these positions to create tension or we're not going to get that adaptation. Get the range, add the load. Get the range, add the load. Get the range, add the load to get this outcome that we want. And then what you'll see is when we get to this rate limiting step, that point we know it's coming in the squat or a hinge or a deadlift where they don't have the capacity to do that movement pattern the way that we want to create tension in that muscle cell. That we've reached the size principle limit, that we've reached the force length limit, that we've reached the force velocity limit. What is our strategy? 
if that is happening prematurely because we've just exhausted the muscle fibers, muscle fibers capacity to create tension and I don't have anything left, what is my potential? It's lower. If my bandwidth is greater, my variability is greater, if my length is greater, my force at that length is greater, my variability is more, my potential is greater. And these patterns that have a very low compounding interest at a very poor length and poor function at that length become now not as valuable as they should. That my investment doesn't produce as much return as I wanted to do because it didn't have a really prerequisite compounding strategy. That is the thought process here. And one of the, I mean, there's tons of evidence to prove this, right? Schoenfield talks a lot about training through a full range of motion brings more motor unit recruitment and activates more muscle fiber than not training through a full range of motion. More so than using heavier loads. Heavier loads just create a mechanical a mechanical need to find where the most muscle cell, muscle contract sarcomeres are and staying there. It's altering your center and mass to compensate for that load. It's not creating adaptation in that muscle cell. That going through a full range of motion under control and loading that muscle cell through its full full capacity is what creates more adaptation. We talked about those powerlifters and principles. It's they're not trying to create adaptation in the muscle cell. They're trying to lift more weight on squat, bench, and deadlift. Same thing with weightlifters. They're not trying to create some sort of threshold of that muscle cell. They're trying to get more weight overhead. That's their game. That's what they get success paid for. So why would they concern themselves with creating tension in a muscle cell? But the idea is when we're looking with athletes and working with them and they have these patterns that we're just myopically doing without any conscious thought of anything other than external load or speed, we're not creating adaptations on that muscle cell, then we're not going to get that resiliency that we need and we're not going to have this long-term compounding strategy that's going to really pay off in huge dividends. And I'm not saying train like a bodybuilder. What I am saying is, yes, movement's not muscles, but muscles make those movements happen. So what are, makes, what are the mechanics that makes that muscle actually work? You're, you're bringing, you're shortening the distance from the, the distal to the proximal end. You're shortening up that muscle fiber, right? That accordion is squeezing when we're creating this concentric action. That accordion is spreading when we're creating this eccentric action. But when we really think about it, it's if that if that sarcomere or that muscle fiber doesn't lengthen and then there's a portion of that muscle cell that has to do majority of the work, are we really training to the true true functional limit that we possibly can be and if the movement pattern gets to a point where that muscle cell no longer can contribute then are we really getting the most from those patterns the end goal is to increase our functional capacity to be able to handle more make our athletes more resilient but get more from what we're doing i'm going to train someone three days a week at total body exercises how do I get the most from that? It's a towel with water. How do I squeeze out as much water as possible? Do I leave a lot of water in the towel or do I know how to get as much out of it? And it really comes down to, again, do I create function at length, both shortened and lengthened? So the thing that we need to establish is, okay, if I have a closing angle and I'm creating a lot of tension in that, in that 
is the Golgi tendon organ responding prematurely, sending an inhibitory reflex, and then creating some sort of inhibitory response, or am I getting there comfortably? And can I create this, this tension in that area that's not inhibited? Versus when I'm looking at distally and I'm trying to create length on the open angle side, on the distal end of that muscle cell, is the muscle spindle acting prematurely to that stretch and sending inhibitory messages to get out of it? Do I have the sarcomeres there to do the job? You'll feel this in cramping or compensatory action. You have your litmus when you're looking at something like a movement pattern, a squat or a hinge, push or pull, where are the compensatory actions? That's the end range of that muscle cell. Right? Think about a pec fly. What is everyone's strategy when it gets really heavy? They bend their arms. They shorten the lever. Because their tissues and their pack can't handle that load. That we reach this, this end rank end length from the muscle cell to be able to create force. So I have to shorten the lever. I have to use secondary joint actions like literally the bicep. I start to start to dep- change the angle to take tension off that muscle cell. Bicep curl, right? What do I do? I either I either move I move my elbows forward to get more mechanical advantage to get more perpendicular to the ground wherever the resistance is. I'm taking away from that muscle cell's ability to contract in both the lengthened and shortened position. Tricep extension, same thing trying to get more perpendicular to the ground so I can create more of a mechanical advantage. And that's relative to the relative to the load, not your body. It's a huge part to understand on that. Where do I go on squats? I push my butt back, drop my chest, change my center of mass, try to find a way to get more perpendicular to ground with muscle cells that can handle that load. Can I maintain position that's predicated off of what that muscle cell's function is? which is probably predicated more off that joint spacing and length of that, that tissue around there. That's the game here, guys. That is what we're trying to do and create some sort of function in a closing angle or open angle or regressive and progressive angle to handle the loads. All of the models with movement systems, functional movement system goes movement, performance, skill. Right? Do I have the prerequisite movement? Do I, and then I add in performance and then I go into the scale. FRC, passive active range patterns. Right? That's they're telling you it. DNS, get really good on the ground. Get really good control on the ground when you don't have to utilize as much, much outside influence like gravity and less surface area on the ground. It's easier to move through full degrees of excursion when you're balanced. So that means that proprioception is limiting your ability to move through full degrees of freedom because you have to control so much because you don't have the length. You don't have the length of the motor system to handle that. That's what we're trying to figure out here. And this is what we're going to get. We're going to get this adaptation that we want. Distal adaptation, you're creating the Z-disc disruption. Shortened position, you're creating this overly tensed area that needs to find a strategy to overcompensate for Golgi tendon organ activation. And we create more sarcomeres in both in the short and the length position. We create adaptations that we want. Patterns get better. Performance goes up. Injuries go down. Who would have thought? So again, like I said, in principles, 
get back on the other modules. It'll definitely help with this. This is not an easy thing to unpack. And it might run contrary to what you love or what you want, what you need, what you got to do with your athletes. And I'm not saying don't train patterns. If you're a powerlifting coach, if you're a weightlifting coach, do those things. But look honestly at the movements that you're doing and say, is there a premature stoppage to what I what I really want from this? That if I'm if I can squat 500 pounds, but I can't maintain position and acceleration, is it really translating the way I want? If someone can squat 500 pounds or two and a half times their body weight, and they're standing straight up and coming out of a three point stance. Because when they're going into that zero step, that foot strikes the ground, and that tension at that position is too much for that muscle cell to handle, and they have to shift their center of mass back, drop their drop their chest, and then that second step, that first step, following that zero step, is bringing that leg up and changing the center of mass upright to handle that tension in that position, you are relatively weak. This is unequivocally true to me. If I, have, if I can squat 500 pounds and I go to jump and I have to push my butt back because as I descend down and I load that actual anterior chain because the muscle cells start to stretch and I need to find some sort of compensatory action because I don't have the distal and proximal control that I want, you're not strong enough. You're weak. Use, use very, very universally accepted movements to assess the quality of your program. What is your strategy when you accelerate? What is your strategy when you jump? What is your strategy when you throw something? will tell you just how limiting your range of motion is and what it's leading into in your terms of your programming. This is the guy, the game here, guys. That's what I'm trying to get across to everyone. It's what is it that we want? And let's figure out the best path to that. That if I really want to control the outcome, I need to understand the basics, most fundamental things that actually can govern that outcome. Biomechanics govern function. Range before load. Passive before active before, before patterns. I hope that's sitting in. I love training. I love training hard. I love training people hard. But I think the thing that most people don't really appreciate is the stuff that lead into that before that. We spend 15 to 20 minutes on mobility, flexibility, and corrective exercise every single training session. Not because I'm this quote-unquote functional guy. It's because I know that has huge long-term ramifications to improving performance and function. Function and performance. And it might be overkill or it might be actually too little. I'm kind of leaning on the side of, okay, probably can't do enough. And then when I go to that heavy loaded squat or hinge, then I'm going to have the right amount of length and then the ability to create force at that length. So I hope this is all making sense. Make sure you guys check out next week. We've got a great case study for you guys. And then we're going to have a great interview for with the strength conditioning coach to dive into this concept because I think the more outside perspective we can get on this, the more practical perspective we get on this, just the better we're going to be. So, uh, honestly, thank you guys so much for, for listening. Uh, make sure you check out the module at phpodcast.com under curriculum movement, force length, sarco increasing sarcomere density. Uh, will help a ton. 